Welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David Brown, and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. And I encourage you, when you get there, to click on the online section where you can find a whole bunch of resources, including the sermon transcript for this sermon, as well as kids' resources and a whole bunch of things that will hopefully help you grow in your faith. Today's sermon focuses on Philippians chapter 3, and it's entitled, Follow Paul's Example. So I hope you can grab your Bible and open up to Philippians chapter 3 as we continue in our series, Jesus, Your Anchor and Anxiety. Enjoy the sermon. The reading this morning comes from Philippians 3, 7 to 17. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained all this, but have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Joined together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eye on those who live as we do. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's great to be back today after a week of holiday last week, and I'm so thankful to Reverend Ken uh, for his sermon last week, which I watched online, which really threshed out Philippians 2. Now, Philippians 2 and the Christ hymn in verses 5 to 11 is the pinnacle of the book of Philippians. Then Philippians 3 is the beginning of the downward run. Paul's given us the framework for how we should think about Jesus in Philippians 2. And then chapter 3 reminds us of God's antidote to anxiety, joy in Christ. He writes in verse 1, that we should seek joy. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. As we've seen elsewhere in the book, following Jesus brought incredible joy to the Christians at Philippi, but it also created problems for them. You see, Philippian Christians were stuck between two bigger communities, which both questioned their status. On the one hand, there were the Romans, who took pride in their Romanness, 
They worshipped the emperor as lord and took great pride in their citizenship and the privileges they enjoyed as free subjects of the emperor. On the other hand, there were the Jewish community in the town, some of whom were followers of Jesus. and They took pride in their Jewishness. They could trace their ancestry back to Abraham and they had physical and cultural marks proving to them that they were God's people. However, Paul tells the Christians to find their joy not in their Romanness and not in their Jewishness. He writes in verse 20, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from them, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminds the Philippians that the only true antidote to anxiety is the joy of following Jesus. He reminds them to seek joy, to keep coming back to Jesus like a mine filled with abundant and incredible treasure, the joy that only our maker can give. But the road to mining this joy won't be at without issues. Paul warns us that there will be people who will try to rob us of our joy, the joy of following Jesus. He writes in verse 2, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who seek God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. It seems that some Jewish Christians were walking around and making non-Jewish Christians feel inferior. Their reasons were religious. Jewish males had a physical mark of their belonging to God's family. Right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 17, God tells Abraham, the ancestor of the Jewish nation, to circumcise himself and all his male children as a sign that all God's people need to permanently mark their lives for God. This was a really personal and tangible reminder that Abraham's family were part of God's family. Sadly, though, this beautiful symbol became a dead ritual and lost its meaning over time. Men started to see their circumcision as a sign that they were better than others or some sort of magic totem that put them on the right side of God. Their personal relationship with God became less important as they saw their circumcision as more and more important. So Paul is warning the Philippians about these dogs so that the non-Jewish Christians don't think that they need to get circumcised in order to follow Jesus. Paul reminds all Christians, men, women, and children, that when we ask the Holy Spirit into our hearts, we give him permission to change them permanently. Circumcision of the flesh only pointed to circumcision of the heart, And so the Philippian Christians don't need to question themselves because they are circumcised where it counts. The Holy Spirit has marked their hearts out for God. He says, for it is we who are the circumcision, not the dogs who are telling us to change our lives. The second group of people Paul warns us will rob us of our joy is people he calls enemies in verses 18 to 19. He says, 
Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. These enemies are people who call themselves Christians but don't live up to Christ's example of self-sacrifice and servanthood. They're self-indulgent, fake people who put themselves first no matter what. Their hearts aren't set on Christ, but they're focused on created things rather than on their creator. The warning for us today is that no matter how much status a person has in the church or how religious their arguments sound, if they're not on fire for Jesus, then they're not worth following. So often we see ordinary Christians and everyday churches thrown into anxiety and uproar because the dogs and enemies of today get into our ears and tell us, well, you're not a Christian because you don't do this. Or, yeah, Jesus is good, but you should really take it easy and think of yourself more. So what are we to do in light of this threat What are we to do when we come across people who try to rob us of our joy today? Well, Paul tells us to follow his example by putting our confidence in Christ. He starts by sharing his testimony, a little bit about his story. And as with any testimony, there are always two parts, the before and the after. But today, a lot of testimonies go a little bit like this. I was really bad. And then I saw the light and became a good person. Paul's testimony is totally different. He tells us how good he thought he was and how this still made him anxious. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, Faultless. Paul's saying that if someone comes along and tells you that in order to be religious, sorry, in order to be in order to be a true Christian, in order to be pleasing to God, you need to follow all of these religious laws first, it's a pipe dream. I've tried it. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the most Jewish person around. The tribe of Benjamin was seen as a more righteous tribe than all of the other ten tribes of Israel. In regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. He, he, he was part of this renewal movement in Judaism, which was zealous for the law. He was so zealous that he persecuted Christians in order to try and please the law and to please his friends. As for righteousness based on the law, he was faultless. He could walk down the street and people would say, Wow, that's a good guy, Paul. Paul was part of a great family line and he was high up on the social ladder. He lived a good life by Jewish laws. But this just made him more angry, more anxious and more stressed. Paul never saw the light though because God found him and struck him down with light and blinded him. And This helped him to realize that the things that he thought were important were actually garbage. In verse 7 he writes, But whatever were gains for me 
I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage so that I may gain Christ. Now, as you might have heard in my Vicar of Dolby video this week, Paul uses a word much cruder than garbage for how he looks at the things he used to put his identity in. In the original language, he calls them dog poo in comparison with the wonder of knowing Jesus. Paul's saying that if these dogs think they can tell you how to be religious, let me tell you I know all about being religious and God showed me a better way. Joy isn't found in religiosity. It's found in Jesus. If you're looking to anything other than Jesus to give you fulfillment in life, you will go through life unfulfilled. There's nothing more important than knowing Jesus. Your job, your achievements, your family, your friends, your hobbies, your social life, these might all be good things, but they're garbage in comparison to knowing Jesus. And if I think that those things are more important than knowing Jesus, I'm paddling up the wrong creek. This is why Paul encourages us to imitate him in verse 17. Not because he is something special, but because Jesus is special. Paul has made Christ his goal, and it's filled him with indescribable joy. We should follow Paul because Paul follows Christ. He's not just talking about a new mindset, though. He's talking about a heart set. Often we think that if I could just get my head straight, then I'd be happy. Or if I could just get my mind into gear, then I'd have it all together. Paul says no. No amount of mental origami will give you joy, because joy is a gift from God. He writes in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Can you feel the passion? Can you feel the drive Paul feels for knowing Jesus? He reminds us that the heart of the Christian faith isn't a set of rules or even a way of life. The heart of the Christian faith is Christ. Paul is so passionate about knowing Jesus that he wants to even participate in his sufferings. He's in jail for following Jesus and facing death. We might just take a moment to pray for whoever that's going to. Lord God, we pray for your grace and mercy in the life of our Ambos and our frontline services. And pray that you bless whoever they're visiting right now. Amen. Paul's so passionate about knowing Jesus, he wants to participate in, their suffer- in his sufferings. He's in jail for following Jesus, and he's facing imminent death. But rather than complain or give up hope, he shares with the Philippians how much he wants everything he experiences, even his sufferings in life. 
to help him to know Jesus more. He knows that if he's suffering, that Jesus is with him. And what's more, Jesus is teaching him that in his sufferings he can identify with him. This isn't because Paul has lost his mind or because he has some sort of fetish for suffering. Instead, instead, notice how he talks about suffering, but he also talks about resurrection. Now, other religions talk about reincarnation, which is a cycle of coming back to life after death, depending on how good a life you've lived. For Christians, our goal isn't reincarnation, it's resurrection life. Resurrection along with Christ. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and then rose again three days later. Paul isn't afraid of dying because he knows that as Jesus' death was his path to resurrection life, so it will be for all who follow him. Jesus died trusting in God and God vindicated him by raising him to life three days later. Paul makes it his goal to follow Jesus in life, in death, and on to resurrection life. And so he says, keep pressing on. That is the key. The key to living a life filled with joy is to keep pressing into Jesus and to keep pressing on until we see him face to face doing what you're doing right now and putting Jesus at the center of your focus is crucial to finding peace, hope, and joy. Archbishop Thomas Cranmer, who is the guy who wrote the first Book of Common Prayer, basically spawning the Anglican movement, he wrote this, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. Now often we think about life the other way around. We think that peace and joy come through my thinking. If my mind can justify my choices, that will make my heart happy or sad. But it's actually the opposite. That's why Paul tells the Philippians, one thing I do, forgetting about what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He knows what Jesus has in store for him. And he knows that what Jesus has in store is more wonderful than anything the world can offer him. He's sitting in prison, unable to be with the people he loves, unable to do what he loves to do. But he's joyful and he's content. He feels so secure in his goal that his heart is set on Christ. He's so secure that he can say, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Paul knows his salvation has been won on the cross and his heavenly reward is so secure that it's like he already has it. Yes, he'll strive with every ounce of energy, with every remaining second of his life, but he can never lose because of what Christ has won. And so, friends, let's follow Paul's example. Not to be righteous or self-important, but to live for Jesus. As we do so, we will become 
someone worth imitating. At our 10 a.m. service, we're going to present uh, Charlotte Kelly with a, uh, an L.A. license. And Charlotte just absolutely loves Jesus. And she's someone worth imitating. It's great to see our kids' church kids just running around her and experiencing her joy for following Jesus. At our Ignite Youth Group, Charlotte is just an incredible example of what imitating Christ looks like. Friends, that's what God is calling us to do, to imitate Christ so that people might be able to imitate us. The word Christian comes from the word Christianos, the Greek word Christianos, which literally means little Christ. Somewhere along the line, someone has shown you God's love and been Jesus with skin on and made Jesus alive for you. Now Jesus is calling you to be a little Christ for someone else. God wants to fill Dolby with imperfect but joyful little Christs revealing God's love to an anxious and unhappy world. God wants us to follow Jesus, to follow Paul's example, to follow Christians who show Jesus to us. And God wants us to become people worth imitating. So let's set our hearts on minds on knowing Jesus. May we heed this call to follow Paul's example, sharing and showing Christ wherever we go, offering our lives as living sacrifices, pointing to Jesus, our anchor in anxiety. Amen.